0: Is, uh, is such a special tournament for for so many people. Obviously, for me, uh, because of '89, uh, I have so much, um, you know, so many great memories there. Um, you know, not only playing, but now you know going back there playing the, the Champions event and coaching Kay. Um, obviously, so much has changed. Um, they've done so many wonderful things um, you know, since '89. Obviously, everything has changed. Um, stadiums the locker rooms the the restaurants now you know I think they're done with the retractable roof now so um you know, so much has uh, has expanded and become uh, bigger and better um, it's just a phenomenal event uh, to always be at so all
1: righty Michael I'm super excited to have you on our show and I have to say actually last time we saw each other. It might have been Paris last year uh, on one of the practice yeah. boards, right?
0: Yeah, I believe so.
1: Coaching, playing legends, being a player yourself. What do you, did you enjoy the most or what do you enjoy the most? Can you compare it?
0: I think I enjoy different aspects of it. Um, I don't know, but I, I always feel like when I go play clay events, um, whether, if, it, if it's in the U.S., obviously it's different because we play mostly on green clay. But I feel like when we go to play in Europe, um, the clay is different. If you go to Germany, the clay is a little on the slower side. If you go to Italy, um, like Rome, the, the clay is a little bit slower. Um, the texture is always a little bit different. For some reason, I feel like the the, the clay in Paris is just—I don't know—maybe i just biased, but it's like just right. You know, it's it's the right kind of speed. It's the right kind of bounce. It's the right kind of slide. Um, you know, it's not too much clay, but it's it's not like too little. Um, and then the courts are always like big, you know. Um, so there's a lot of places to, to move, especially center court. I feel like when I'm on center court, I feel like I don't have to worry about ever running into anything, the backdrop or anything like that. I always feel like if I played at like Wimbledon, for example, although it's, it's a very intimate court, it's a very kind of different feeling court. I felt like if I went running for a, 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 an on-the-run forehand, I'd always feel like I'd have to kind of take small steps on the side to make sure I don't slip where the concrete is, you know. But I never had to worry about that with French Open. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a, uh, it's just a great feeling to, uh, to be there. And I'm always welcome there. Um, I'm not French, obviously. But, um, but every time I go there, I feel like the staff, um, the federation, I feel like they treat me as if I'm one of their own. And uh, so, obviously, whenever you get treated like that, um, it's always a very special feeling to go back.
1: So it, we could almost say that it tastes just like the French wine. That 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 is the best taste there, the clay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it could could be. I, I actually don't drink, but uh, but I think me neither. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know why drink. I said it, <laughs>
1: but you talked about it so passionately that I thought okay, maybe <laughs> the wine could could be the same uh, yeah. same. But I think
0: it's almost hard to not talk about. Um, the French Open and not be passionate about it. Because I think of all of the grand slams, you know, you take for instance, like the Australian Open, it's, it's um, you know, it's very kickback, it's very relaxed, you know, people having fun. Um, you take the US Open, it's busy, it's exciting, it's hectic, it's, it's late night, you know, Wimbledon is very traditional. Um, but when you talk about the French Open, um, it's very passionate. It's very um, emotional. Um, you know, they've always liked people that showed emotion. They want to know what you're feeling. And, and if you show your emotion, I think they actually appreciate it even more. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why they really embrace players like John McEnroe, for example. Um, you know, obviously, you know, if they don't like what you're doing, if you question a call, they will certainly let you know. Um, but uh but at the same time, I mean if you're down in a match and they get behind you, they could literally almost you know cheer you on and almost push you on to, to uh to winning um you know to winning that match. So um, you know, I've always had that sense. And um, you know, uh it's always been a very emotional, very passionate tournament.
1: Well, it's very obvious to say that the connection you have with the crowds there. Uh, not too many players in the world have ever had that. Do you still feel the same when you go back there now, a couple of years later?
0: Yeah, I mean, I do. I, um, you know, obviously when, I, when I'm when i there, I have many people come up to me, you know, talking to me about uh, about the 89 French Open, um, you know, and, and certainly when I get out on the court and I'm playing, or when I'm coaching, um, you know, people are always, you know, welcoming me uh, with a, you know, with a, a very nice round of applause. Um, every now and then I'll walk on the court with Kay and they'll, they'll, they'll cheer for me. They'll, I'll, they'll make more comments about me and then, then Kay and I'll kind of, you know, kind of, you know, give Kay a hard time about that. <laughs> so it's all, it's all good. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's great to, great feeling to, uh, to be back out on, on those courts. And, and I have to say that the French open, I don't know if you feel this way, but, I feel like the French Open really does a great job with the champions events because you know we're never put on like court number twenty-five or anything like that. They always put us on on big show courts, you know, whether it's you know Susan Longland, court number one, um, you know, now and even on the new court, um, you know, I think they uh, and they always sandwich us between uh, a lot of times between singles matches. So so the crowd is actually still already there from the previous match, and and obviously they want to see the big name players, but but I think there is a certain appreciation for you know watching past champions and, and past players that have done really really well there.
1: I, I think that's a great point you make that uh, playing legends there is very special because the crowds are great, uh, almost full full courts yeah. and uh, also the wonderful championship dinner they do for the for the legends. It's it's awesome. Yeah. So do you feel like you almost have to prepare a little bit more <laughs> coming to to Paris to play the legends because of that and obviously because of all your success.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I just prepare a little bit more just out of pride, you know, um, you know, and I know that, uh, obviously, I don't know if this is for the same for the women, but I think that it is, I won't mention any names, but certainly on the men's side, if you play against certain players, you know, they're going full out. So there's no kind of like, you know, dinking playing around, there's some obviously a lot of players are just going out there having fun. But every now and then, you'll have some players that are like, yeah, we am really kind of like, if I can win this, I'm, I'm going to go try to win this. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's you know, taking into consideration, you know, wanting to still go out there and play well. Um, but then also, obviously also, you know, I don't play on clay very often. We have no clay course here in, in, uh, in California, very, very few. So, you know, with the sliding and, and all of that, I mean, I want to make sure that I don't, like get hurt either because then, then I can't hit with K. I can't warm him up. Uh, and then obviously I can't play either. So, um, you know, that's, that's a little bit of a downer and, uh, you know, and it's probably one of the few, few opportunities now where, you know, my kids are old enough. They can actually come and, and watch me play. Um, and, uh, and be able to see, wow, there's actually a lot of people watching daddy, um, which I think is, uh, is a lot of fun to, uh, to be able to have them on the sidelines, uh, cheering and, um, uh, and having fun and laughing.
1: How special is it to be able to now these days bring your family back and show your kids what you've been able to achieve in paris
0: yeah i don't know if they all understand i think for sure my my oldest understands um lonnie understands she's nine years old now she's she's um you know been traveling well they've all been they're all world travelers now because uh you know, they often would come with me to a lot of different places, um, you know, because I'm working with Kay. And you know, we made a, an effort to try to always keep the family together. We could kind of do it, obviously, when with their young age. Now, obviously, it's a little bit more difficult because they have school. Um, but my oldest plays tennis too, so um, so she will actually come and sit with me um, and Amber um, in the in the players box, and we'll we'll literally watch an entire match of Kay's. Um, I mean, she'll sit there for four hours if if she, if if the match goes four hours and she will, you know, really understand everything that's going on, which I think for, for me as a father, um, you know, raising a tennis player, I feel like is a, is a wonderful thing because you, you can't really, I can't really teach some of the things that you can learn when you watch a, a tennis match in person. I always tell people, I say, well, if you have the opportunity to go watch a tennis match Um, in person do it I mean it's great on TV but when you watch a match in person you see the speed you see the spin you see the power you see the um, the construction of points and everything you see the emotion of the players you know how they handle their ups and how they handle their downs Um, it's a very different ball game and, uh, and you come to appreciate the sport even more
1: obviously coaching one of the best players in the world. What is it about uh, this part of tennis and doing the coaching that surprised you that maybe we didn't see as a players or we didn't didn't maybe have enough appreciation?
0: I think the transition actually for me from being player to coach, I don't feel like was really that difficult. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of it is is because I'm very... Um, uh, you know, I'm very cerebral. So everything that I think about is is very um um you know strategic. It's very trying to figure things out. Um, you know, my game has never been one where I can go out there and okay, I'm just gonna hit a 140 mile per hour serve and blow you off the court and hit huge forehands. So I didn't have that ability. So for me to take each match, think through, you know, what is a player's strengths, what are a player's weaknesses, how can I use my strengths to to go up against his weaknesses, um, how can I stay mentally strong, mentally tough? Um, you know, have the right attitude out there. All of these things uh, were important for me. And you know, obviously, to work with somebody like Kay um, and his style of play, which is somewhat similar to mine, um, I think was fairly natural. Um, if you decided to say, "Hey, you know, Michael, can you come and and work with somebody like uh, you know, I don't know, somebody a big serve and volley, or..." Or chip and charger then probably be a little bit more difficult for me because that's not really my style um, but for somebody who plays a similar style you know takes the ball early is a great retriever um, plays aggressive when the opportunity's is there um, and then just going out there trying to play really smart tennis um, you know wasn't that real wasn't that difficult i will say that probably one of the most difficult things in being a coach as opposed to a player is that once Kay is on the court I cannot do anything. I can cheer for him, but I cannot do anything. So when I see patterns happening in a match um, that, uh, that I know Kay is not picking up, um, but obviously it's very easy for me to see. I, I think it's always easier to see when you're watching a match than when you're actually on the court uh, and, it, and actually happening. You know, I'll kind of be like, okay, he's serving down the tee. All right, I, first one, go ace down the tee. That's right. that's right. Kay will pick it up next time. Another ace down the tee another ace down the tee. Come on, Kay, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, you know? <laughs> so things like that, you know, are, I think as a coach are like, are like very frustrating because you see all these things taking place, but maybe your player doesn't see, you know, doesn't see that. Um, you know, that being, say, that being said, Kay has been a, a joy to, uh, to coach. Um, he picks things up so quickly, unbelievably quickly, um, he's so talented in so many aspects and I th- I would think that for me to, to work with somebody, um, he can pick something up in a day where it would take somebody else a week. So, so that in itself is a, is a joy to, uh, to work with.
1: So what do you do with all that energy when you are just sitting there not being able to be on the court? A four-hour match, the match is over, what do you do with yourself? Because m- me, and I'm not even involved with the players, but just commentating, I'm sometimes going crazy. So, yeah. do you go for a run? Do you go to hit uh, yourself? Or how do you get the, the energy out?
0: Um, maybe play with the kids, um, take a walk with uh, with Amber. Um, but I think obviously when the match is going on, I mean, I realize that there's nothing I can do. So, you know, I realize as long as we've done all the work that we could possibly do, um, as long as I've done all of the homework that I need to do as far as, you know, um organizing, you know, what K needs to do strategically. Um, you know, I'm doing I'm doing all of the um scouting um for a lot of the the matches for him, um, most of it and uh you know, and nowadays, obviously, it's a lot easier to do because you, you're able to look up matches, you know, YouTube, you know, the ATP, the ATP Tour gives you, um, um, you know, like a little cruiser disc of matches that he's played in previous rounds. So, you know, so there's a lot for me to, to study and prepare. But I know once he's out there on the court, I can't do anything. So I can cheer for him, um, you know, help try to keep him positive. And, uh, and hopefully he comes out and by the time he walks off that court, he's won the match. That's
1: actually a good point you make, that with the, all the technology and YouTube, you can do counting much easier than, let's say, our coaches. They used to oh, yeah. go and just look at the opponent's practices, pretending like they're just standing there, not looking yeah. at the practice.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no way you could do it back in our day. Um, you know, obviously, you'd go by some notes that you had in previously playing that opponent. Um, but, um, you know, you have somebody go and, you know, tape matches on a VHS. I still have, like, VHS tapes my dad was like, you know, going back, looking at matches, but you know, you you don't have that kind of time to to do it. Nowadays, you, you have a, you know, you have a recording of a match and you can, you can fast forward between all of the different, you know, between points between the ball boy, giving you points between the changeovers, you know, it's a lot quicker. Um, And then, you know, now obviously is, you know, I'm sure that all the, the, the commentators now all have access now to, you know, patterns um, percentages of, of, uh, of serve, served to the forehand, to the backhand, um, you know, all of these different things. And uh, sometimes it's applicable, but then sometimes not. Because um, sometimes players obviously don't, there are some players that have a, a certain pattern of playing, no matter who they play, they play the same pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, then there are other players that will change basically depending on who they play. And then there are other players that are constantly changing and they'll, and they'll change within the course of a match. Mm-hmm. um those are ov- obviously the most difficult ones to to strategically prepare for um because uh you know then you start working on every aspect of of your player's game so that they can combat that um but um yeah it's a it's a very different uh ball game now as far as uh, preparing your player it's not just hey let's work on the forehand let's work on the backhand let's work on the serve um you know it's it's uh it's a lot more than that and whatever edge mm-hmm. I can go and – And give K um, you know I try to take advantage of that and uh, and if that gives him just a little bit more confidence and knowing what to expect out there on the court then um, you know then I've done my job
1: yeah it's totally about knowing what to expect because in today's speed you don't have any more time to react what's happening you kind of have to be that one step ahead but like you said uh, the statistics work to a certain point but then comes also the nature of the game and that we are not robots and most of the time we might do something else. Did you write notes about your opponents? That's what I used to do. We didn't have the technology, but I, I did. Like I did. I wrote right? many
0: notes. Um, in fact, I uh, I did it very early on, and I I, I still have actually some of my books. Uh, they're all all the binding all the binding is all is all broken and and, and uh, falling apart. But um, yeah, I would have uh, pages on on different players. Um, you know what worked, what didn't work. Um, and like I said, it was, it was important to me because you can't remember everything. There's no way you can remember everything, but you know, if you write it down, um, you know, for, for me, at least, um, it, it helped me, uh, to recall some of those matches that I've done well and helping me to not make the same mistakes. If I'm playing a certain player and I'm constantly losing, I'm constantly playing the same way. Um, what's the purpose for me to go out and play the same way? Cause I'm going to lose again. So um, you know, so it's important for me to, to know all of those things. And then, you know, if I lose a match, I can go back and work on some of the aspects of, in my game that, uh, you know, that uh, maybe didn't perform that well that day that, uh, that helped my opponent beat me. So, um, and in turn, I become a better and smarter player.
1: And I think it was important for us to write it in our own words and in our own world so that when we went out there on the court, we could kind of, yeah, I think it was, I think it's a great tool for any player to actually sometimes write the notes down for yourself because like this, you can improve on your own and not be really dependent dependent that much on on your code. Yeah. Michael, I cannot wait, but this is my most favorite part that I'm looking forward to. Let's go to 89. I know it's impossible, but if you can pick the memory that always comes to you first when you come back to Paris, that was the most special moment of that year.
0: You know it's interesting because um, so today is June fourth. Um, so today is actually the the date of the crackdown that happened in Beijing um, in Tiananmen Square. So um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, that happened the day before the match that I played with Yvonne Lendl. So um, there's a lot of history there. Um, there was a lot of things obviously going on during the French Open at that particular time. Um, it almost made it seem like, you know, if I was out there and I was fighting cramps or whatever, um, it didn't really compare at all to people fighting for their lives, fighting for freedom, fighting for democracy. Um, and and I often told, tell people that I feel like, you know, God allowed me to win this tournament, um, being Chinese. Uh, to put a smile upon Chinese people's faces during a time when there wasn't a whole lot to smile about. So I have a lot of very vivid memories of 89. Um, one, because it was uh, you know, a very um, you know, uh, dramatic you know, point in, in my life, not only in, in the lessons that I learned, but, uh, but also in, in my tennis career. Um, I think it made me even more of a fighter for the rest of my career um, because I had a reputation after that, uh, to, to not give up in matches. Um, and it, it, taught me a lot. Uh, I was very, very close to actually defaulting my match with Yvonne Lendl in the, uh, in the round of 16, um, because I was cramping so bad. Um, you know, and, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, obviously I, I went into the tournament, not thinking that I, I could win the tournament, but, uh, but to see the events unfold, um, in China and see the events unfold, you know, on the courts at Roland Garros for me, especially the last four matches um, being played on inspiration. It was just, um, it was just something that I will never forget. And, and uh, certainly, like I said, the lessons that I learned um, during that period of time, I, I realized that, you know, if ever I'm in a situation where, you know, um, I have difficulties or I have trials, um, I have a choice. I have a choice. Do I want to, do I want to give up? Um, or do I want to persevere and, um, and, and see it through and, uh, and knowing that sometimes, um, you know, great things happen. And, um, you know, and I, I feel like in, in many aspects, uh, um, you know, I'm a a great example of, um, you know, what can happen when you don't give up. And, uh, and for me, I, I feel like, um, you know, I feel like it's a tournament that God, God wanted me to win and, and allowed me to win when, you know, certainly there were a couple of matches that I had no business winning. Um, one was the, the match with the Lendl, and then the other match was with Stefan. I, I shouldn't have won that match either, but somehow um, somehow he pulled me through.
1: Would you say Roland Garrow has been part of your life ever since that 89 till today?
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, obviously it's not something that I think about every single day um i'm not going up to my trophy and saying oh you know <laughs> um, but uh you know it is um you know it is something that people do you know it's it's actually really kind of scary how many times people actually come up to me and say well either i saw the matches or i was there in paris and i and i'll i'll see them like some random place around the world and i'm like come on you're really there in paris like on center court watching i mean come on <laughs> um but, uh, you know, and, you know, I think it's, it's defined my career in, in many, many aspects. I mean, obviously, I've had a, a lot of other highlights. Um, and I've often told people, I said, well, even if I were to win another Grand Slam, I got very close. I've uh, got three other finals. If I had won another Grand Slam, I don't think it would have still compared with, uh, with the 89 French Open.
1: Michael, you talked about that match with Ivan that you were close to retiring. And... Throughout that uh, tournament, we saw you many times physically struggling. Where talk talk to me, maybe for people that are not professional athletes, how do you overcome that physical tiredness, and where did you find that power not to give up and go through it, and you know finish the match?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I, I think there are actually different kinds of physical exhaustion. Um, one is just plain exhaustion. You're just absolutely tired from from the match. My match with Yvonne was four hours and 39 minutes. And, and, you know, as well as I do that in Paris, weather changes, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be hot, it could be cold, it could be cloudy, it could be very humid. Um, so you kind of don't know necessarily what's going to happen until the actual day comes. Um, you know, and I think that the people probably would agree with me i think probably 99 percent of the players would agree with me that the most physically demanding um tournament especially for the men because we play three out of five sets is the french open so um you know you could be a great player um you could be a phenomenal player i have all the tools but if you're not physically fit to last seven tough matches three out of five sets there's no way you're going to win the french open um i think i was very fortunate that year um and i almost think that to some degree the tough matches that I had in the round of 16 with Yvonne, um, you know, the fourth set, fourth set matches that I had with uh, ajnor in the quarters and then semis with Chesnikov, I think actually got me even fitter to play the f- five sets against Stefan uh, in the finals because by the, time the, uh, by the time the first third of the fifth set was done, Stefan was tiring. Um, and it's tiring to serve and volley for – for five tough sets. So, you know, I feel like, um, you know, for me under those circumstances, um, with Yvonne, I mean, I was cramping in my legs. Um, so it was very difficult to go up for a serve or push very hard, um, to, to go into run and get balls. Um, you know, and I was, you know, like I said, at two, one, I was very, very close to, to defaulting the match. I actually started walking toward the chair umpire, um, at two, one, I actually stopped, at the service line and he was looking at me and I stopped the service line. And I had just had this unbelievable conviction of heart. And, and that's when it really crossed my mind. It was almost like God was saying to me, Michael, what are you doing? And in my mind, I started kind of thinking, you know, it's actually not a bad day. I'm, I'm 17 years old. I'm out here on, on and central at Roland Garros. I'm playing the number one player in the world. And I'm taking him to five sets. I mean, who am I kidding here? I'm not going to win because I'm, I'm cramping. There's just no way I might, My movement is one of the strengths of my game. There's no way I'm going to win this match. So what's the difference whether I finish this match and I lose or whether I just default and just say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't play anymore. Then at least I can go back in the locker room, maybe get treatment, you know, help alleviate these cramps. You know, I get a great write up in the paper, get people patting me on the back saying, oh, wow, what a great tournament. What a great match you had with Yvonne. People are going to remember that for a long time, you know, and and walk away feeling, wow, that was a pretty good day, you know, but. There was something in my heart that was just like you know what if you quit today the second third fourth fifth time you are presented with the same exact situation whether it's on the tennis court or in life you will quit again and if you quit again you won't know how in your character to go out there and fight your guts out um and fight till it's done so so I've, I felt that and I was like, all right, so my goal now is to finish the match, regardless of what happens just to finish the match. So Yvonne by this time knew that I was cramping uh, cause I was taking my water bottle to the back of the court. I was drinking between some points. Um, I got a time violation because I couldn't get back up to, 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 uh, to return, the, um, return a serve because I was cramping my legs. Um, and so I just started hitting these, these moon balls, um, not really kind of knowing what to do. And, And strangely enough, Yvonne just started hitting moon balls back. Um, He didn't really try to angle me. He didn't try to drop shot me. Um, So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to sit here and keep moon balling. And every now and then he would drop one short and I would just come up and I would just crank on it and go for the winner. Um, And some of them went out and I was like, okay, that's okay. You know, it means I, I get to rest now, but some of, a lot of them went in and before I know it, You know, points started turning into to games, and and all of a sudden, I'm you know, games started turning into you know, set and the match. Um, Obviously, there are a couple other points in there that that were um, you know very strange, including the the under the underhand serve that I hit when I was up four three down fifteen thirty. My first serve, I literally my first serve was going seventy miles per hour, Um, and you know, I I sometimes still kind of wonder how how I was able to get through that match. But, you know, I feel like sometimes that when your mental is there and your physical is not, you can get through matches. Um, And I just felt like, all right, God's just going to take care of everything. Winning winning and losing, he's going to take everything. But if the opposite is there, if you are there physically, but not there mentally, you will not win matches. You will not win matches. And that's something that I think people don't really necessarily understand. And and I think that obviously I, I had a lot of um, my faith is very important to me that I could fall back on. Um, and that gave me a lot of strength to be able to go out there and say, you know what? All right. Let's finish this match. This is this is my race that I need to finish for the day. And uh, and thankfully, you know, thankfully, God put me through that match. And then I went on to win the rest of the tournament.
1: Wow, I'm almost getting goosebumps <laughs> just <laughs> listening to that. Uh, would you say that almost that moment when you were walking almost to the net, that you kind of let it go and there was no more pressure because you realized that, well, I could have almost retired and I'm still here on the court and maybe yeah. this gave you extra energy too. Um,
0: I mean, I mean to some better. degree, um, but I think that being 17, I mean, I, was, I don't think there was a whole lot of pressure to start with. Um, you know, cause you're, you're kind of, when you're that young, you're kind of like, wow, this is so great to be out here, you know, and, and to play number one player in the world and to have this opportunity. Um, I got nothing to lose. I'm expected to lose straight sets pretty easy, pretty comfortably. Um, so for me to, to win, you know, one set, um, compared to winning, you know, the match in the, in the fashion that it was won, um, you know, was, was incredible. So at least I didn't have to worry about that pressure. Um, cause I think that's a whole different kind of pressure that, um, that obviously is not necessarily that easy to deal with um, for a lot of top players.
1: So would you say it, it was actually your advantage that you were the youngest uh, winner ever of a slam because you were 17 and you didn't really have not only any expectations, but you didn't really know what, it, what it's about, right?
0: You're absolutely right. Um, and I kind, of, um, I kind of relate a little bit to, uh, to Guga when he was talking about the first time that he won. Um, and he was like, kind of like, I, you know, I kind of was just having fun out there. And to be honest with you, I'm thankful that no press person asked me during those two weeks prior to any match, did they ever say, Michael, do you realize that if you win, you will become the youngest male ever to win a Grand Slam championship? I I I think if a reporter had asked me that question, I think my brain would have started churning you know, and started overthinking, but for me, it was just kind of like, I'm enjoying the time, I'm, I'm enjoying being out there, I'm playing great tennis, um, and I'm just going to continue to go out there and play with my heart. Um, and, um, you know, and I didn't even think about, you know, all of the things that, uh, you know, that was happening from a historical point of view, um, really until after the tournament was done.
1: At what point during the tournament, you started to feel like, okay, I can I can do this.
0: Yeah, I mean I think that I felt like I had um, you know obviously after the the match with Lendl, um I felt like I had a a, a decent draw. Um Aginor was a, was a great clay court player. He actually beat Sergi Bruguera um in the round before. Um and then I played Chesnikov in the in the semifinals. I had a very good record against Andre. I uh, never lost to Andre. Um, and he had beaten Courier in the quarters, and then beaten Mots in the in the. I'm sorry, he beat Courier in the round of 16, and he beat Mots in the uh, in the quarters. Um, and I knew if I would played Mots, I think that would have been a really really long, tough, grueling really match. And then when the finals with Stefan, I actually had beaten Stefan earlier in the year in Indian Wells, um, so I had a, a little bit of confidence going in uh, into the final against him, um, even though he played phenomenal tennis. Um, again, a match, I shouldn't have won. I was down two sets to one. I saved 11 break points in the fourth set, 11 break points. Um, and I had, I had one break point in the fourth set, which was my set point, And I capitalized on that one. So, um, you know, so I think that, um, you know, draw wise, it was, uh, it was tough, but it was doable. Um, and I'm thankful that, um, you know, I played guys that, uh, that I had some good results with. And uh, so it gave me some confidence going into playing those matches.
1: Would you say that almost, again, it was that, you know, 17, not really being aware of that huge occasion, that there was that confidence that, yeah, of course, why not? I mean, I can play this well for two weeks. And it's like, I don't know about you, but when I look back, for example, for Indian Wells and, you know, playing Martina Hingis in the finals, and we have that confidence, like, yeah, sure, I I should win that match. But then when you look, back at it later it's like where did that come from
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's true um well indian wells is your tournament so you yeah, <laughs> you feel very very at home there um having done so well but um yeah i mean i it was you know I, when i was 17 i i played the french open just one year before um because i did play it as a 16 year old and, and the, actually the french federation was kind enough to give me a wild card to play, which back then was unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um they were kind of asking me a wild card because I won Le Petisaz when I was when I was very young. So um you know so that that experience was uh you know was uh, was really, really important I think for me um and coming into 89. No, now I knew the you know the setting, I knew what it was like to play the French Open. Um, it was much easier to concentrate on just going out there and playing. But um I think there were definitely advantages to being 17 years old. Um, I think that um, not understanding everything, um, you know, and just to give you an example. So the following year, I'm 18 years old. I'm coming back to defend the French Open title. I obviously know now the pressure, the expectation. I did not win a single clay court match in tournaments, in exhibitions. I did not win a single clay court match before my first round match at the French Open. Um, and, you know, they always play the the exhibition tournament, yep. um, which is like a, an eight game pro set, um, like the, a couple of days prior to the French Open starting. And I remember saying to myself, I've got to win this to give myself a little bit of confidence. And I was playing, um, I think I was playing Jean-Philippe Fleurion. And, um, and I was just, I was fighting like it was like the finals of the French Open. It was so funny. Um, but uh, I had no confidence going in. Um, you know, going in there to uh to play. But um and obviously I understood everything that was taking place. I knew the history now, I knew, you know, the occasion. I felt the pressure that, you know, that um I would now feel for probably the rest of my career because now no longer am I kind of this mentality where it's like, no, you don't want to lose to a seventeen year old or a teenager. Now all of a sudden people don't label you as that. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, hey, I have an opportunity to beat a Grand Slam champion. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden the pressure is completely flipped. Before it was pressure for somebody to go out there and play a teenager, now all of a sudden the pressure is on me because the expectation is for me to go out there and play well um, and for me to win these matches.
1: Michael, very last question about Paris in general. When you come back now with your family, what are the things you love to do the most when you get back to the city?
0: We do a lot of fun things, Um, you know we've taken them to, to different parks um, to, to, play on some of the rides. Obviously I'm out there playing on, uh, with, with tennis with Lonnie on the courts, which is really exciting for her. Um, I think for her to have the opportunity, um, I'll sneak her out on some of the, you know, some of the show courts really early. Um, and they're kind enough to, to allow us to, to, get out there sometimes. Um, and then just, uh, you know, there's just so many things to enjoy, uh, about Paris. I mean, even just simple things going and and going and getting ice cream, going and walking around and, and uh, you know all the things obviously that that paris is known for um you know it's uh it, it's a great time for for us
1: michael thank you so so much for your time and it was such an Absolutely. honor for me personally to be able to talk to you and i hope to see you very very soon in paris in person
0: <laughs> sounds good thanks good. thanks for having me
1: <laughs> thank you so much big big hugs to the family as well
0: all we'll do <laughs>
1: there i hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the real dna podcast don't forget to subscribe either on spotify apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from
0: infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city